I want you you to open your Bibles this morning to two passages. One, 2 Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament, the 32nd chapter. Then I want you to turn, uh, I think the next one would be good for you to turn to to the book of uh, James, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. 2 Chronicles, chapter 32, and then uh, James, chapter 1. Over the 50 years that I have been pastoring, there are hundreds, maybe thousands, of things that you remember, things that are forever burned into your heart and mind. Something wonderful happens every time God's people gather. But then they're, they're just things that occur that you, uh, you just never forget. And they have an impact on your life. I remember it was a Wednesday night after prayer meeting. And I've told you this before, but I'm telling you again because I've never forgotten it. And I was walking out the right-hand side of the worship center at Cottage Hill. And there was a lady sitting on the second row talking to a friend. And as I was walking slowly by, I noticed that she was crying. And through the tears and sobs, I heard her say, Why didn't somebody tell me the Christian life was such a battle? You know, I've never forgot that. We make a big mistake when we do not teach our children and when we do not tell new converts that while there's life and joy and peace and life abundant in Jesus Christ, following Jesus is also a real, real battle. You know, I remember growing up in church and and I, I didn't understand. We used to sing that song, Onward Christian Soldiers. Marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. That song was trying to say to us, look, it's wonderful to be a child of God. But until you get home to heaven, you are going to be engaged in an awesome spiritual battle. You know, I heard a young lady say this week, last Sunday night over at the 2 Chronicles 714 meeting, I heard her say these words that I've said many times. The Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. Now, I want to talk to you this morning from the Word of God. Take a passage in the Old Testament and a passage in the New Testament and talk to you about how to prepare for battle. How to prepare for the battle that we have as children of God. You know... And one way that I want to approach this is to talk to you about temptation. You see, a part of the battle is, hey, most of the battle is we're tempted. We're tempted by the world system to go its way and to let it conform us to its culture. We're tempted by our own flesh that even though the power has been broken, there's still patterns in our life, patterns in our life that tempt us. And then, of course, our arch enemy, the devil... Temptation comes from many, many sources. But the Bible talks about how to prepare 
for battle. Let, let me just put it this way. It talks about how to overcome temptation. Now, talking about the reality of temptation, you don't need to turn here, but it's a, a great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The verse right before that says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, before that, he had talked about God had brought them out of Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt, that God had brought them across the Red Sea. But then they began to rebel against God and ended up in the wilderness and wandered around for 40 years. And all those people over 40 never, never got into the promised land. And he's talked about how that they came out and God blessed them, but they fell short. And then he said, let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And then he said this, listen, there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. We're all tempted and all tempted in similar ways. There's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Would you underscore that? God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted above, what you're, above which you're able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That verse says, listen, we're all going to be tempted. But you know, God is greater than any temptation we will ever face. And he has made a way of escape for us that we can overcome temptation and we can have victory in the battle. Over in James, if you've got your Bible open there, it tells us something else about temptation. The reality of it, he says, now, you, we're all going to be tempted. But then he says something that, that is very, very important. He says, God never, God himself, who is holy, never tempts us to do evil. Somebody will commit a sin or do something that's wrong, and they will say, well, well, God told me to do that. That's not right. Because this passage tells us that God never tempts us to do evil. In James chapter 1, and uh, it talks about temptation, and it's in verse um, 12. Blessed is the man, James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now listen to this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But then he tells us, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. See, we give in to the desires. We're drawn away of our own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Two things that's very clear. One, temptation is a reality. God will not let us be tempted above what we're able, but will make a way of escape. God never tempts us to evil. He says we're drawn away by our own desires. 
And when we give in to those desires, it conceives and brings forth sin. And sin brings forth death. Probably the one is the greatest example of the reality of temptation is found in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, if you want to turn over there. This is when Jesus was tempted. Man, there's so much truth in the temptation of Jesus that it just absolutely blows you away. Now, one thing you'll find out about temptation is this. Now, you need to hear this very carefully. You can be walking in obedience. You can be living a life of faithfulness to God. And that is no guarantee against temptation. In other words, somebody says, well, if a person's really tempted, then they must be walking a wrong path or, make, or not living close to God or, or, so, or something like that. No, don't misunderstand me. You can be obedient to God. You can be walking with God. And you can be faithful to God. And that gives you strength when temptation comes. But that will not prevent temptation in your life. We see in Jesus that he had just been baptized by John and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. If you, want, if you have your Bible open, chapter 1, verse 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit. He was right in the center of the Father's will. Was led in the, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being, and, and he was there and he was tempted being tempted for 40 days. I don't know if the devil started tempting him early or if it was all 40 days, but he was there 40 days and says being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. Now you have three temptations and I'm not going to read each one, but I'm going to tell you what they are. First of all, Satan tempted Jesus in his body had eaten for 40 days or had been a good time without food. He said, listen, I, I know you people are saying you're the son of God and you have not denied that. If you're the son of God, command these stones be made to bread. Well, he was appealing to a natural desire in Jesus' body. But he was trying to get Jesus to full, use his power to fulfill that desire, which was not God's will for him. And, and so he said, now, if you're the son of God, you, you command these stones to be made to bread or you just eat. And then Jesus answered him. You remember, he used the Bible. He answered him with the word of God. He didn't answer him with reason. He didn't answer him with logic. He answered him with the scripture. You remember that great verse? He said, it is written. By the way, he quoted Deuteronomy. Je Jesus had, you know, he knew the Bible. Did you know that? No, he is the Bible. Excuse me. But anyway, he knew Deuteronomy. He said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. He said, there's some things more important than food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, what's more important is not the physical food I ate. It's a spiritual food that I ate. And then he went on and, 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 and tempted Jesus in his spirit. And, and he, you know, the story is in, in, in the book of Luke that he said, listen, I have power and authority over this uh, world system. Not the created world, but I have power and authority over this world system. I can give authority to anybody I want to. He said, let me tell you something, Jesus. If you'll fall down and worship me. He tempted Jesus in his spirit. You can be tempted not only in your body. You can be tempted in your spirit. He tempted Jesus in his spirit. 
and said, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give you authority over all the kingdoms of this world. Now, of course, Jesus did what he did before. He just answered him with the word of God. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There's one significant thing about that statement. He, he not only said, you sh- it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, but then he said, in him only will you serve. Because I want to tell you something, you serve who you worship. If you worship yourself, you serve yourself. If you worship the world, you serve the world. So Jesus knew that worship and service could not be separated. And he, and he overcame the temptation with the word of God. He just plainly used the word of God and said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then, of course, the third temptation, he tempted Jesus in his soul, his body, his physical appetites, his spirit, his spiritual needs and desires. And then in his soul, his mind, his emotions and his will. And you know what he did? He took him to Jerusalem, to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, Jesus, listen, people need to know who you are. They need to know the power you have. You need to really show them how awesome you are. He said, let me tell you what you do. You jump off the pinnacle of the temple and said, you remember what the Bible says. By the way, the devil knows the Bible. He always takes it out of context. Oh, yeah. He said, you know, it says in Psalms that he'll send his angels to catch you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, God was showing us that a part of the battle is is temptation. And we have to prepare You don't wait till you're in the middle of temptation to prepare for it. You have to prepare every day that you live and every day that you walk to to meet the temptation when it comes by the power of Jesus. And in this situation, Jesus met the temptation head on with the word of God. Now, in James, it plainly says, it's not a sin to be tempted. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I have these thoughts and I'm tempted to do something wrong or I have these desires. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's only a sin when you give in to your desires and you respond to temptation. And when that desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So you've got to understand Don't get bent out of shape when you get tempted. Now, don't put yourself in a place to be tempted. But we've got to understand that it is not a sin to be tempted. It is the way that we respond to temptation. Now, I want you to know that uh, sometimes the greatest temptation comes when you you really walk in with God. Because the devil's upset and the world's upset. Turn over to 2 Chronicles 32. Let me show you. In Hezekiah, who was a godly king, there are some tremendous truths that show us how to prepare for temptation, how to prepare for battle. It's amazing how clear it is. Now, you've got to understand about Hezekiah in in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 20 and 21, it says that he had pleased God. 
He had obeyed God, and everything he did, God had prospered. Look, look with me at verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 31. Then Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, he did what was good and right and true before the Lord. Man, what a testimony. He did what was good and right and true before the Lord. And in every work that he began, in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, and he prospered. Man, he had torn down the high places. He would restored temple worship. He had brought, brought back the, the, some of the feast. He had brought, i tell you what, God used Hezekiah to bring revival to a, a, a nation that had kind of drifted away from God. But you know what? If you look at chapter 32, the, the uh, king Sennacherib came after Hezekiah. You'd say, man, Brother Fred, he just obeyed God, restored worship, that had a revival. And why didn't God put a hedge around him and, and keep Sennacherib from coming? Why didn't God protect him from that? Look what it says in chapter 32. After these deeds of faithfulness, underscore that. After your deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, and his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. Okay, the battle is coming. It's on. And Hezekiah does some things. And man, you can take this, and you can apply this right to our life spiritually in these New Testament days. You know what he did? He prepared himself. He prepared himself for the battle that was going to come. You know, the first thing that he did was this. There were a bunch of springs outside uh, the walls of Jerusalem, a bunch of springs. And so he got all the leaders together and said, let's tell you what let's do. It's obvious that we're going to have a battle here. So let's do this. Let's stop up all the springs so that when the king of Assyria comes, he won't find any water to drink. You know, that, that, was, uh, that was wise. And, and I, it reads exactly in verse 3. He consulted with the leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together and stopped up all the springs and the brook that ran through the land. Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? I guarantee you, he prepared for the battle. He prepared for temptation by stopping up the springs so that the king would not be able and his troops would not be able to get any water. There's a tremendous picture there. You know what you and I have got to do? We've got to stop up any springs. We've got to cover any area of our life that would give the world system our flesh or the devil access. Oh, listen. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, don't give place to the devil. And so many times we have uncovered areas of our life that we have not surrendered completely to God. And we've not really given it over completely to God. And it's not covered. There's still a spring from which the enemy can drink and find water. You know, I'm telling you, if you're going to prepare for battle, you've got to be sure 
that all the doors and all the access to you that the world could use or the flesh could use or the devil could use has been covered up. And when he comes, he will not find water. He will not find access to your life. And buddy, I'm telling you, Hezekiah was brilliant when he said, I tell you one thing, we're not going to give them any help when they come to battle. You know, another thing, in, in, in looking at Jesus, the, another way we prepare is by stopping up the springs. But we go over there and we see how Jesus used the Word of God to deal with temptation. You know, he, he, every time the temptation came in his body, and by the way, we're tempted in our bodies. Every time the temptation came in his spirit or so, he always used the Word of God. Now, let me tell you about the Bible. Let me tell you about the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You see, an offensive weapon that we have in dealing with temptation and in preparing for battle is not only to, to let God show us areas of our life that are uncovered so that we can cover them and be sure there's no place for the enemy to drink. But we, we can use the Word of God. Now, let me just tell you what, what the devil has done. His main tactic in my lifetime has been to, to destroy confidence in the Bible. In, in liberal colleges, liberal seminaries, liberal teaching, humanism, he has done everything he can to destroy people's confidence in the Word of God. Because you know why? The devil knows how powerful the Word of God is. He knows it. But the problem is we don't know it. And until God restores in us that this is alive and powerful and it's an offensive weapon, it's called the sword of the Spirit, until we let God restore our confidence in the power of this Word, the enemy will come and he'll absolutely knock us down every time. Satan and demons in the world and the flesh know that they cannot stand against the Word of God. They know that. But we as a church must realize that we've got an offensive weapon and we can use the Word of God just like Jesus did. Now, here's the big step in preparing for temptation. First of all, you stop up the springs. You don't leave any place for the devil to get access or the world to your life. You say, I'm not going to leave any place uncovered. Then you realize that you have in your hand, and I trust in your heart, the powerful living Word of God. And the world, the flesh, and the devil have to obey the Word of God. But you know what? You've got to make a choice. And boy, this is big. I won't say anything more important to you in a long time than what I'm fixing to say. Over in Deuteronomy, it, it talks about the fact that we have a choice. And that choice, of course, is involved in temptation. But, but in Deuteronomy, it says, I have set before you life and death. Now get this. He said, I've set before you life and death. He said, I've set before you blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your family may live. 
Now, what, what a statement for God to say. Man, right before you is life, blessing, and cursing. Life and death. But you've got a choice. Choose life. And so, while the Word of God is powerful, you know what we've got to do? We've got to settle it that we're going to obey God's Word regardless of what our circumstances are. This was brought to my attention recently when a person came to me to talk about a decision they had to make. And this individual said, twice in making this decision, the people that were giving me guidance or telling me how to approach this decision asked me to lie. They said, now, you put this down here, and it'll be much easier to get this done. She said, but that's not true. She said, that doesn't matter. It'll just make us get it done. And then she went to the next place, this person did, and they said, okay, now, we can do this, but now, put this right here on that line. She said, but that's not true. That's not, well, it doesn't matter. Everybody does it. She, I'm glad she, she didn't. She didn't sign either one of those. She didn't compromise. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you something. You have got to have your mind, your heart and mind made up that as far as God's word is concerned, that you're going to obey that word. And there are three areas that you've got to get, you've got to get settled in your heart. If you're going to prepare for battle, and if you're going to overcome temptation, you've got to cover up the springs, and you've got to have absolute confidence in the powerful Word of God. But then, number one, you have to go ahead and make a choice before temptation ever comes that I'm going to obey God 100% of the time. I'm not going to sign anything that's a lie. I'm not going to do anything that's, hey, I've made a choice. I am going to obey God 100% of the time. I'm going to choose life. Now, if you don't get that settled in your heart, every time temptation comes, you're confronted, well, am I going to do that? Well, if it's against God, certainly you're not going to do that. But if you hadn't settled that in your heart, then you're just going to be just beat around like the waves of the sea. You, you've made a choice. You've prepared for battle. I'm going to obey God 100% of the time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that you'll be perfect? No. Does that mean that you'll bat a thousand? No, but it means it's settled in your heart that your obedience is not up for grabs, that you've settled it, that you're going to obey God. But here's the second thing. You not only have to make that choice, preparing for battle, temptation will come, that you're going to obey God 100% of the time, but number two, you're going to obey God whether anybody else does or not. You see, we're living in a day in which everybody does what's right in their own eyes. But you know, let me just tell you something. There's nothing like peer pressure. Peer pressure at work, at school. And so people say, well, I mean, I don't care. And they just made a choice. They're not going to obey God. Well, if you obey God, it's going to cost you. But you say, you know what? I'm going to obey God no matter what it cost. No matter what it cost. I remember a friend of mine back in 1965 had a huge job in Dallas, Texas, making big money. 
He was asking his job to compromise and to do something that he knew was against God and against the Word of God. And his boss called him in and said, now this is what you're going to do. He said, no, you know I can't do that. I'm a Christian. That's against my convictions. He said, no, you think about it. You just go think about it. I'm not asking you to do anything awful. Just, just think about it. And so he left, but he, he didn't need to think. So he went back about two days later. He said, look, under no conditions will I do that. And he looked at him and said, well, you no longer have a job. Man, he was making six figures. But you know what? He had made a choice that he had obey God no matter what it cost. And I, had, I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. Man, when he obeyed God, it was a while that it was tough, but then doors began to open and doors began to open and doors began to open. And man, he got far, far, God blessed him far greater than he'd ever been blessed at that company. I'm thinking of another man right here in this city who came to me and had applied for a job in the shipping business. And he went to, to interview and, and he was qualified and was way up there. But he found out that the company was humanistic and uh, they were in the new age. And, and when, when he told him he was a Christian and that he was going to follow Jesus and, and boy, I'm telling you, you're talking about the interview getting over real quick. He lost the job because he wouldn't go along with the new age. But guess what? I see him every now and then. He and another person went into their own business. God has prospered them. Listen, you can never go wrong. You obey God no matter what it costs. There was another man. I don't know why I hadn't thought about this one. And I'm just going to tell you about it. He came to me and was going to open up a marina over in the Destin Harbor. His family owned the land. And he asked me about the business. And there were certain things that he said, Now, Brother Fred, they tell me I can't succeed unless I do this. I said, well, I'll just say one thing. You obey God, and you leave the results to God. Everybody said, well, you're not going to make it. Listen, he not only made it, but it became the best and the largest uh, 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 store where people got gas and stuff coming out of the Destin Harbor. It was number one. Let me tell you something. It costs you to obey God, but it costs you a whole lot more when you don't obey God. So, hey, we're in a battle. We're in one. Let's face it. And so we've got choices. So we choose to obey God 100%. And we choose to obey God no matter what it costs. And we choose to obey God whether anybody else does or not. In other words, if everybody else disobeys God, that doesn't mean you've got to disobey God. So how do you prepare for battle? How do you get ready for temptation? Man, you cover up the springs. Don't give any place to the enemy. You have confidence in the powerful living word of God. And you settle it in your heart that I'm not for sale. I was already purchased and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm going to obey God by the power of the Spirit 100% of the time. I know I won't be perfect and sometimes I'll miss, but I'm still, that's my goal. And I'm going to obey God whether anyone else does or not. And I'm going to obey God no matter what it costs. 
And I guarantee you it's hard for the enemy to pull you down when you've made those choices. And you notice it says here in Second Chronicles that uh, Hezekiah not only stopped up the springs, but he built up some walls. I want you to uh, look at verse 5 of Second Chronicles 32. He stopped up the springs, but now the enemies, so some of the walls had been torn down. So he built them up. It says here, he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and built another wall outside. Hey, in some of our lives over the years, there have been some walls that have been broken down. You know, I'm telling you, uh, this is not an, this, this culture in which we live is not easy for a child of God. We are counterculture. And it's so easy for this world to knock down this little wall in our life or knock down that wall or knock down this wall. And, 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 and sometimes we get to realize, well, hey, there's some walls that are down. And, and, and let me tell you what you got to do. I'll tell you what he did. He saw it coming, and so he built up the walls. In fact, it impressed me that he not only built up the wall, but he built another wall on the outside. So the enemy would have difficulty getting in. I want to ask you, are there any walls that you need to allow God to build up in your life? You know, I thought about the wall of, um, the wall of honesty. I thought about the wall of, uh, of, uh, of uh, self-control, the wall of generosity, the wall of godly speech. By the way, that's all found in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, let no corrupt communication out, come out of your mouth. Be angry and do not sin. You know, it's so easy for walls to come down and, 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 and but what we have to do is ask God to show us, if I let the walls down here, have they been knocked down anywhere? And you build the walls back up. You build them back up so that when the enemy comes, it's not going to be easy for him to knock you down and to defeat you. But this is the last thing and the most important to me. Number one, if you're going to overcome temptation, remember that temptation is a reality. And it's not a sin to be tempted. And that God will never tempt you to do evil. But then you've got to have confidence. Absolute confidence in the power of God's word. You've got to be willing to cover up and stop up any springs in your life. That would allow the enemy water to drink. And come to you. And then you've got to settle this thing about whether or not you're going to obey God. If you settle that you're still going to battle temptation. But, but every time, you've already made some choices that cause you to go to battle with confidence. And if there's any walls down, and you know what they would be, you've got to build them back up. But I love this. And, and this is the key now to overcoming temptation. In Second Chronicles 32, verse 7, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Before the king of Assyria. Nor before all the multitude that is with him. For they are more with us than is with them. 
With him is the arm of flesh. I love this. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. (laughs) You know, Hezekiah said, listen, don't you be afraid. Don't you be dismayed. Be discouraged because there's more of us than it is of them. And he wasn't talking about human beings because I guarantee you there were a whole lot more Assyrians than there were people in Jerusalem behind the wall. Oh, he wasn't talking about human resources. There certainly wasn't more human beings on his side than was on King Sennacherib's side. But he said, but wait a minute. You know what the problem is? With him is the arm of the flesh. All he's got is human power. All he's got is human power. That's all he's got. And, but with us is the Lord our God. Woo. And he fights to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Well, I have to admit to you, in all honesty, and you have to agree, there's no way that in our own power we can overcome the world system. It is strong. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We live in a world system that is anti-God, anti-Christ. I mean, let's face it now. Every part of it. And so we'll never overcome that in our own strength. And then we have our own flesh patterns that were developed in our lives when we were growing up. And then, of course, that the devil and all the demons of hell that attack us. You know, but you know, we'd say, well, Brother Fred, it's much bigger than I am. And how in the world am I ever going to win the battle? And how am I ever going to overcome? And how am I ever going to have victory? Let me tell you what. The Lord our God fights our battles. And he is with us. You know, the great thing is this. Jesus Christ, who lives in you and me, overcame the world. Man, I love 1 John chapter 5. Listen to what it says. Verse 4 and 5. Who is he that overcomes the world? System. But he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Oh, I know how strong temptation is in this world system. You get up every day and and it confronts you about what you see and smell and taste and touch and hear. It's constantly. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ overcame the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Christ can give us the power to say no to the world system. To say no to this culture. And Christ can give us the power not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the power of God. Hezekiah said, let me tell you something. There's more with us than with them. They just have the arm of the flesh. But the Lord our God is with us, and he fights our battles. So we have victory over the world by the presence of Jesus in our lives. And I'm telling you, we have victory over the flesh. Romans 6, 6 says, our old man was crucified with him. That old Adam nature that just rules us. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Hey, I know what it is. Before I was saved, man, all I knew was to live in the flesh. 
But you and I, when Christ comes into our lives, he breaks the power of the flesh. And now we can walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin has been rendered powerless that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. Oh, I'm not trying to overcome this temptation and, 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 and fight this battle in the arm of the flesh. Man, I'd get knocked flatter on my back. But I'm telling you, the Lord is with us and he fights our battles. He lives in us. All that he is, he is in us. And he's overcome the world. <laughs> and he's overcome the flesh. He nailed it to the cross. And he's overcome the devil. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, I can't get over what that uh, lady said. Why didn't somebody tell me the Christian life was such a battle? Well, you can't ever say that because I've told you. And you'll fight that battle till you get to heaven. I thought at 75 the battle would be over. It's more intense than it's ever been. You say, Brother Fred, let me just tell you one thing. You think old age will get rid of temptation? Forget it. It's just a different kind of temptation. All I'm saying is we're in a battle. But I want to say, you know, there's that song we sing. It's true. And I want to encourage you this morning. I know you fight the battle with the same way I do, temptation and everything. But I want to tell you that song is true. There's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And I'll tell you, Christ has already won the victory. God raised him from the dead. He lives to live his life in us. And I am telling you, we don't have to get knocked down. Let's just choose to obey God 100%. Let's choose to obey him whether anybody else does or not. And choose to obey him no matter what it costs. And then absolutely depend on Jesus. Lord Jesus, you're in me. And greater are you that is in me than the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I don't have to be defeated. I can have victory in Jesus Christ and you can and I want to encourage you you say but brother Fred I got knocked down well that's where the grace of God comes in God comes and picks us up and washes us and forgives us and restores us and, and you just keep on you don't ever stop listen the devil will say you're never going to make it he's a liar you will make it because Jesus lives in you got to prepare for the battle we got to be ready when temptation comes